This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now. Welcome to Lama Suryadas's Awakening Now podcast. We are very pleased to share with you Lama's unique illumination of the awakened awareness teachings. If you are interested in supporting Lama Suryadas's podcast, please go to beherenownetwork.com/suryadas. Today's subject is the six kinds of mindfulness, the secrets of Tibetan mindfulness, and the practice of presencing. If you're not here now, you won't be there then, I can assure you. But now is, the now is getting so old, ain't it? So much talked about. Similarly with mindfulness. So hoping, intending, trying to take a fresh approach and think about it and also bring together the different approaches and, you know, yanas and schools of thought on this, especially from the Tibetan tradition and my own experience over the decades and so forth. Talking about this today, thinking about how we can integrate mindfulness and awareness into every facet, nook and cranny of daily life, which is, of course, the real practice, not just sitting on a cushion like a frog on a rock, hoping to catch a fly, or worse, a log or a stump from a tree just sitting there. I was in somebody's bathroom a couple days ago, and uh, I know you, you you know why I'm telling you this. You want to know what happened, but I'm not going to tell you. But I was in somebody's bathroom, and there was a little guitar, a mini guitar, on the shelf right over the potty. And it had a few nice colors on it. And there was a quote on it from Woody Guthrie. It said, this is an instrument that destroys fascism. And I thought, Dharma is an instrument that destroys oppression and bondage, fascism, and worse, imprisonment. Of course, Dharma is a peaceful and peace-loving, harmonizing, healing elixir, the medicine that Buddha says 
heals all our afflictions, our kalashas, our afflictions and obscurations. Buddha said he was like the doctor, the Dharma teachings and practices like medicine and the Sangha, the followers, us like the patients. I think that's a good model. It's up to us to take the medicine as prescribed. Well, at least to check it out and see if we're with the right doctor and the right medicines and see if it works. If it doesn't work, who need it? Who needs it? This is an instrument, a medicine that destroys bondage, imprisonment in the dream of suffering and illusion. But we'll get to that. Mindfulness is a major vital ingredient. Some would even say the most active main ingredient in Buddha Dharma. And who could argue with that? I mean, if you ask the Dalai Lama what's the essence of Buddhism, he will say, what? Not mindfulness. <laughs> he will say wisdom and compassion, or the Four Noble Truths. And yet, there are other teachers, like my own teacher, Manindraji and Goenkaji, the teachers of the founders of the center going back to India and Burma and beyond back in ancient times, who would say mindfulness is the main essence of the path of enlightenment beyond Buddhism. Buddhism, Shmudism, as they would say. <laughs> or the Cornfields, Goldsteins, Salzburgs, Epsteins, and so on would say. <laughs> the American Buddhists. Buddhism, Shmudism, better to become a Buddha, be a Buddha than a mere Buddhist. This is far more significant and larger and deeper than just joining and being a member. Well, of course, the Sangha is a beautiful thing and belonging and feeling supported and loved all around and helped all along is a wonderful thing. It's one of the three main pillars of Buddhism, Buddha, Dharma, Sangha. I don't have to labor the point here at this center. Spirit Rock, this, this rock of Dharma in the West and the world. So I was thinking about mindfulness and how wonderful it is. And also people tell me that they don't hear about it much from Tibetan teachers, although now, you know, mindfulness, is stock is up, so everybody's talking about it a little more. But still, in general, um, from the Vajrayana and Tibetan teachers and other kinds, you know, Zen teachers don't talk about mindfulness that much or they didn't used to. You with me? So mindfulness is sort of the specialty, the province of the Theravadan and Vipassana movement in the West that's been teaching it for decades, not mantra, not devotion, guru yoga, bhakti, not yoga, and so forth, not prayer, not visualization. You know, there's a lot of kinds of meditation going around. There's a lot of bowing going down in the Buddhist ghetto. <laughs> a lot of sitting going down in the Buddhist ghetto. There's also a lot of misunderstanding, of course, because this Buddhism and Dharma and Eastern thought is new to us. It's only been in America for one or 200 years. It's only been popular, hot for the last 50, 60 years. And it's new to many of us, you know, new. We're all beginners and, you know, Buddha buds, bodhisattvas budding up on the path. On the path. Let's talk about it. Then we'll have some coffee later.
even if we've been in the Dharma 10, 20, 30, 40 years, you know, or I don't know how many lifetimes we're still new. And it's fresh. Beginner's mind has many possibilities, as the Master says. The ex- in the expert's mind, few. It's so chock full already. So some people say, oh, I didn't know you, you uh, practiced or learned or studied mindfulness in the Tibetan tradition. So just to start off, and also because in our tradition, the non-sectarian practicing lineage of Tibet, the Vajrayana practicing lineage of Milarepa and Longchenpa, the Mahamudra Dzogchen lineage of awareness practice, we're very uh, much devotional or grateful or involved with teachers and teachings and study and practice over the decades and millennium, I wanted to bring forth a poem, a spontaneous song of enlightenment called The Vajra Mirror of Mindfulness by my own Lama, my late root Lama, the Lama of many of the Vipassana teachers here in the West who studied Dzogchen, Nyosho Kempo Rinpoche. It's called The Vajra Mirror of Mindfulness. This is in a book we wrote together called National Great Perfection. Zogchen Songs and Teachings by Nyosho Kempo Rinpoche in 1992. It's called the Vajra Mirror of Mindfulness. Homage to the sovereign within, the king, the queen, self-arisen mindfulness. Remember, I'm going to get to the sixth kind of mindfulness. So mindfulness may or may not just be one thing, like being here now. You know, frogs are also here now, and bumps on logs, even, here now. Homage to the sovereign, king, queen, the self-arising mindfulness, innate mindfulness, awareness. Then he takes this stance of the Vajra master, saying, I am the Vajra, remember this is called the mirror of mindfulness, Vajra mirror, the diamond mirror. I am the Vajra of mindfulness, the diamond, the scepter, the lightning bolt of mindfulness, the Vajra. Look, Vajra friends, when seeing me, be mindful. I am the mirror of mindfulness, like a Vajra cutting through the veil of illusion. I mirror your careful, present attention. Mindfulness. Look clearly, moment by moment, beyond attraction and aversion, and see directly into the very essential nature of heart-mind. So mindfulness brings wisdom also, not just concentration, but insight, awareness, self-knowledge, etc. Then he goes into some poetic of pain or like hymn to mindfulness. Mindfulness is the very root of all the dharmas. Mindfulness is the main body of spiritual practice. Without mindfulness, you're like a parrot parroting your prayers. Without mindfulness, you're like an earthworm doing your vows, your bows, earthworm, doing your bows. Without mindfulness, you're like an animal just stretching when you do yoga. Mindfulness is the aid or support to the wisdom of innate wakefulness, another kind of mindfulness, innate wakefulness. Mindfulness is the support of Mahamudra, Mahaati, Dzogchen, and Majimika, the four great meditative schools of Tibetan Vajrayana, the diamond path. Lack of mindfulness will allow the negative forces and demons to overcome you. 
Without mindfulness, you will be swept away by laziness and indecisiveness. Lack of mindfulness causes all kinds of harmful deeds. Without mindfulness and presence of mind, nothing can be accomplished, neither worldly nor spiritual. Then he goes on to the last part, talking to us specifically in our three-year retreat. He actually wrote this with a magic marker. He was a permanent outpatient, as he said, in his last few decades because he was stroked out with a magic marker on a roll of paper towels. We didn't have that much stuff in the three-year retreat in the 80s. He wrote it on a roll of paper towels and tacked this inside the gate of our three-year retreat center in Tibetan, this roll of paper towels with this poem on it. Lack of mindfulness. (laughs) Piles up three years of shit. (laughs) Without mindfulness, an ocean three years deep of piss. Sorry. Without mindfulness, you are like heartless zombies, my dear friends. (laughs) Don't take it personally. Dear Dharma friends. Oh, Kempo, so kind to us. Dear Dharma friends, this is the end. Please be mindful. Stay awake. Don't be a zombie, a walking corpse. And he prays, may all my dear Vajra friends join together with me in attaining stable mindfulness. That's another kind of mindfulness, stable. And ascend to the throne of total awareness. So mindfulness is considered the panacea or the active ingredient in the pill of Dharma. When they talk about seven factors of enlightenment in the sutras, the Buddhist original teaching sutras, scriptures, there are seven factors of enlightenment, like balance, discipline, renunciation, concentration. The pivotal one that activates and also harmonizes or settles is mindfulness. The fulcrum, the pivotal one, is mindfulness. It's the main ingredient in Buddha's recipe for awakening, for enlightenment, the path of enlightenment, which is what Buddha Dharma is all about. The goal of Buddhist Dharma is enlightenment, awakening, the awakened life, and recognizing that we're not separate, including others and all in this great blossoming, this lotus-like unfolding, an unfolding from within our heart and our mind and our being, not waiting for somebody to give it to us as if from above. So if there is a higher power in Buddhism, it's the inner power. What we call in Mahayana Buddhism, the Buddha nature. That's another subject I'm not going to go into, but here in America and the West, we can't avoid considering who's doing what around here. Other power, higher power, self-power, group, and I'm not... I don't want to harp on the word power, but you know what I'm talking about. God, ourselves, can we do it alone, and so forth. So mindfulness is so important and beautiful and usable and accessible and far beyond any ism or schism. As we can see today, secular mindfulness is helping performance coaches, athletes, helping heal. Mindfulness-based stress reduction is in most of the hospital today. with death and dying, for relaxation and health and so many other things besides the ancient, timeless spiritual enlightenment. 
I see you back there, music master. And um, it's a beautiful thing. But it may or may not be enough, depending on what you mean by mindfulness. That's why there are seven factors in Buddha's recipe, seven factors of enlightenment. I recommend you read about this in the books of the teachers of this center and also Joseph Goldstein, the pioneering Vipassana master in Massachusetts and in America with his new big book called what? Mindfulness! (laughs) Which has everything in there. It's like the big book of mindfulness. I'm waiting for the little book of mindfulness. But you guys are serious here. The big book of mindfulness is worth having, even if you just have it on your altar or use it as a doorstop to your meditation room. (laughs) And we love Joseph, just as we love the Asian masters and the masters of the past. We love our teachers too, Joseph, and Jack, and Sharon, and Sylvia, and too many to mention, who can, I have no memory anymore. All of our friends and teachers and Dharma brothers and sisters on the path. So helpful on the path over so many years and decades and probably lifetimes. And we honor them. And we don't want to imitate those who have gone before, but actualize and embody what they actualized and embodied, which is far from imitation, which is about authenticity, not becoming some foreign Buddha, becoming American Buddha, becoming authentically oneself. As we say in the Dzogchen or Great Perfection teachings of Tibet, We're all Buddhas by nature, not Buddhists, God forbid. We're all Buddhas by nature. We only have to recognize who and what we are, truly are. Kala Rinpoche always used to say this, quoting from the Hevadra Tantra, Tantric scripture. We're all Buddhas by nature. It's only adventitious obscurations. It's only temporary obscurations which veil that fact. That's from the Tantric scriptures. We only have to recognize who and what we are. That's an awesome statement of the inner power. Like Dorothy, when she saw the Wizard of Oz, she had to see the wizard. He's the one that told her, she pointed out. His pointing out instruction was she had the power to click the heels of her red shoes to get home. Anybody remember? Is that deep or what? <laughs> she had the power, but he had to point it out. She forgot. She was a little girl from Kansas. She forgot there in Oz with so much going on, all the monkeys and witches and, you know, yellow brick and, and, you know, scarecrows and Buddhas and bodhisattvas and everything. She had the shoes. She had the inner power, but she had to click her heels. So that's the pointers. That's what the Dharma, the teacher, the elders, the Sangha are here, the teachings to remind us. To click. To twig to it, to get with it, not again it. Co-meditation, to get with it, to be with it, whatever it is in the moment. Intermeditation, not separate from. We'll talk about that later. So mindfulness is a wonderful, rich, juicy subject. Mindfulness also has a friendly appreciation side to it that I feel we don't hear enough today about. Mostly we hear mindfulness is just be here now, clear awareness, non-reactive awareness. And that's fine. That's a lot. Because God bless you. As the Dalai Lama likes to say, and then he goes, <laughs> in his inimitable, you know, dear boyish way. 
you haven't seen him at Yale on probably most of you on Halloween evening, taking out his Groucho Marx glasses and nose and mustache when he comes on at the stage at Yale on Halloween evening. I mean, he's a student of the world mythology. He's, he's with it. How serious do we have to be? So mindfulness also has a friendly appreciation side to it and a wisdom understanding side to it, understanding karma, how things work, it's not just seeing it as it is, seeing things as they are in the present moment is good. Be here now, presence of mind. But there's also a wisdom or enlightenment component to it. If you look in the sutras, you, you'll find these definitions. Mindfulness or sati in Pali, smriti in Sanskrit, drempa in Tibetan. Drempa means rem- remembering or recollectedness, being recollected, remembering what you're doing while you're doing is mindfulness. The opposite of mindfulness, mindlessness, sorry. Perhaps the easiest be- definition of what is mindfulness is it's the opposite of mindlessness, which we all understand and know what the downsides are of mindlessness at the wheel or due to substances or for other reasons, not paying att- inattentiveness. So mindfulness is a great attentiveness, too. So mindfulness seems to me is a very uh, present awareness, non-reactive appreciation or uh, seeing things as they are and seeing also how they work, which is the first two steps on the Eightfold Path, wise view and wise understanding or intentions, karma, cause and effect. Uh, seeing how things are in the present moment, also some wisdom or insight into how they work. But you can think about these things. I'm just spreading some seeds today. So as I was saying, when I was looking through my notes I, uh, on mindfulness from my studies in the 70s and 80s, then I found the six kinds of mindfulness from Tukorgan Rinpoche, the Grand Master of Dzogchen that many of us studied with, who was the Guru Dzogchen Master of the late 16th grade Karmapa. But I couldn't find anybody who could really tell me what the six were as I went around in my desultory fashion researching. It means chatting up my friends and colleagues and teachers here and there over a year or two. And then I came upon it, somebody... Buddhist scholar told me it was in Nagarjuna's letter to a friend, King. And those six are actually not that interesting to us, but I'm going to mention it to put it in the record, the red, white, and blue records of American Buddhism, Buddhism for the West. Because there are different views on mindfulness. You know, we could make a whole, um, like, historical list of the development of over the years. In the beginning, Buddha taught mindfulness and the four main positions for cultivating mindfulness. He didn't call it meditation. Can anybody tell me what are the four main positions for cultivating mindfulness or, quote, for meditating? Easy. Yeah. Sitting. Oh, come on. (laughs) Standing. Walking. And lying down. I mean, that covers it. In other words, any position. Not just sitting with our legs crossed on the floor, our fingers crossed, our eyes crossed, our fingers crossed, and hoping for enlightenment. No. Standing meditation, walking meditation, 
lying down. And also, if he was alive today, I'm sure he'd add a few extra innings, like jogging, you know, squatting, thumbing, whatever. Better be mindful and mindless. Always. Yes? That doesn't have to do with religion. So there's a great opportunity here for secular mindfulness, for, like, mind training, for attitude transformation, for wisening up, for true higher education, bringing the higher back into higher education, wisdom education, not just vocational training like we see today, higher education. To have some of these techniques and tools, these inner sciences brought back into the greater curriculum, contemplative practices can help people become better whatever they are. They don't have to convert to Buddhism or even be religious. Secular, humanistic, philosophical, just be a better mensch. Be a mensch, a real person, a decent citizen, not a schnook. I won't mention any names. We know who we are. When I asked Joe Goldstein, who's easy to get a hold of, he's an old friend of mine that lives in the Puritan state like me, the Pilgrim State, now subtitled the Snow State. How many, Joey, how many kinds of mindfulness are there? He said, uh, well, in the sutras, there's two. There's directed mindfulness, like intended, directed, and there's Undirected, like panoramic, like undirected mindfulness, being aware of whatever comes up. Yes? That's commonly understood if you study Buddhism. So I said, oh, that sounds interesting. Are there any other kinds? Can you think of He said, no, I haven't really heard much about that. He said, maybe I should start studying mindfulness. (laughs) You know, he's such an expert and master. I mean, he is head and shoulders above most of us the meditation teachers in the West. He's a real pioneer, like Jack Korn and the rest, the, the sem- pioneering masters in the West. Wonderful bodhisattvas. So I said, Joey, there's six kinds of mindfulness in Tibetan Buddhism. I heard it from Tukwurjan Rinpoche, who, who Joey had also studied with. Um, and Joe said, oh, you Tibetans, you're always one-upping us. <laughs> If we say there's two yanas, you'll say there's three. <laughs> or nine. Anyway, after we got done fighting, I, I was looking around, you know, for other kinds of mindfulness and um, was thinking that, you know, I found there's six kinds of equanimity and there's, there's a lot of uh, good instructions or, or codifications over the years in the meditation manuals and texts and Q&As with the masters over history, not just the sutras and the shastras, commentaries, and so on. We could look at to help guide our practice, which really is what I'm interested in. I don't know about you. I'm not really interested in Buddhist scholarship or translating. But awakening is so much more um, important and enticing to me. So we could say, besides the directed and undirected, there's like natural mindfulness. We'll get to this. These are my six mindfulnesses of attention. Attention is natural mindfulness. We all have it, just like we all have muscles, but they're not all firm or well-developed. Some are atrophied. 
So natural mindfulness. And then there's generated mindfulness, where you try to generate it, like directed, you, you try to cultivate it, raise it. And then there's um, intermittent mindfulness, where it comes and goes, and you try and it goes away. I'll get a little more into it and flesh it out. I want to have a Q&A before a break. So those are good three kinds to understand to be guiding us. And then you get to like stable mindfulness, where mind, mind, attention, mind. We're way too mental in Buddhism, but that's the talk we got at the moment. If I say heart, mind, it really doesn't add much at the moment, though it's a good term. Mind stays on the object of attention, as meditation texts say. Like when you concentrate on something, your mind will stay on it. Like you won't cut off your fingers while you're cutting the board with the saw. If you have intermittent mindfulness, you might. Anybody know any carpenters? I mean, I'm no one to talk. Namaste. <laughs> the downsides of mindlessness, the upside, the virtues of mindfulness, worldly and sacred, enlightening. So, generated, but first, natural mindfulness. We all have attention. Like, if we're interested in something, we naturally attend to it. That's mindfulness, natural, innate. And then generated, cultivated, and then stable, uh, intermittent. As we get used to it and trained, it comes and goes. We use the leash of remindfulness to come back to what we're meditating on, to come back to the object of attention. You with me? We use the leash of remindfulness to bring the wandering puppy back, mind, puppy-like mind back to the object of attention when it wanders, when we're distracted. We use the leash of mindfulness to bring our attention back to the breath or the mantra or whatever we're concentrating on, the physical sensations in Goenka's Vedna Vipassana, whatever it is, or in the jhana practice, back to metta, loving-kindness, resolve. So that's intermittent mindfulness. We're training, and then we get to stable mindfulness where the attention, the mind, the focus remains where it's placed. It's called placement. That's like samadhi in Sanskrit and Hinduism. Meditative absorption. Stable mindfulness. It doesn't come and go so much. It's like when you are fit, your, mu- your muscles are firm. You don't have to exercise every day, just you know, a few times, several times a week. You keep it firm. So that's fourth. And then fifth is like interpenetrating or interwoven mindfulness where it really broadens out into everything. Total awareness, mindfulness. We'll talk later about if there's a difference between mindfulness and awareness and so on. So fifth, this is an arc of development, obviously, which is why I'm interested in it, and my students are, for how we train and understand that sometimes you backslide and you go back to generating, and then you get to intermittent, and then you get to stabilized. And then fifth is this interpenetrating, interwoven, very permeable mindfulness, like People talk about things like non-dual awareness or oneness or inseparability, interpenetrativeness, interconnectedness. Where it's big, where it includes everything. And it's not just including everything like a bag around everything. It's inseparable from everything. Like H2O throughout all the waters of the world, whether they're salty or not, whether they're frozen or flowing. Interpenetrative total awareness mindfulness which is like a a great oneness. And then sixth is what we call, this is actually a technical term in Tibetan Buddhism, dharmakaya mindfulness. 
It may never have been spoken here at this center. I don't know. You tell me. I've heard this from my own gurus, the gurus that our own friends and teachers admire. This is not something I made up while I was high on my initials at Esalen in the hot tub. <laughs> Lama Surya Das in the hot tub. <laughs> Dharmakaya mindfulness. Even Dharmakaya is, is hard to define, but I've just put the, you know, it's enlightenment mind. It's, it's the absolute bodhicitta. It's the cosmic awareness. It's, it's God's mind, if you want to use words. I mean, any language is a weak translation of the, the deep truths. And the Dharmakaya awareness really is not separate from the innate mindfulness of attention. So we come back to the first one. So it's really throughout all six, if you hear what I'm saying. Please hear what I'm saying. Not just from here to there. We all love rainbows, but when we grow up, we see them from plain, and we see it's a circle. It's, it's rainbow all the way around, not just from here. To, there's no pot of gold at the end. This is the pot of gold, the rainbow. Yes? And in Tibetan Buddhism, that's why we, they talk about, you know, I don't talk about this at Miracles that much, but there's a miraculous side to all of this, even the most basic Dharma day or moment. They talk about the rainbow body of perfect enlightenment because it becomes like that. And it's everything. That's not our subject today. So that's my six kinds of mindfulness for practice purposes, for development, and also inclusion, being there while getting there. It's all that while we're cultivating develop cultivated mindfulness, generating it and stabilizing it and intermittent and coming and going and gaining concentration and losing concentration. Mindfulness and concentration are quite different but related. All the way up to the total interpenetrative interwovenness mindfulness and then the Dharmakaya mindfulness, the ultimate sphere, the big circle, the great snow globe as I call it, in which everything is, you know, snow globed, just... If karmic winds shake it, then there's all kinds of stuff going on. If they don't, it's still it's all there. Everything is already perfectly at rest, though. As Tibetan scriptures say, everything is already perfectly at rest. Nirvanic peace is things just as they are. That's an awesome radical war cry of Dharma. Not enlightenment later after many lifetimes of schlepping to enlightenment. Although sometimes it feels like that, don't it? How many retreats have you gone to and proud of? Still schlepping to enlighten and carry. Now we carry, I mean me, carry all my books and notes and, you know, tapes. And I mean, it takes a lot of props to get enlightened today. <laughs> but it's all props. It doesn't matter. Appearances are all. I mean, you could say it's all appearances. That means appearances are all. There's nothing deeper or behind to find.
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now.